In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Lawn or a Marathon winner is Gina Comerci of Shipack, Pennsylvania. Gina will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawnorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Chase Williamson. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today, we're looking at SVU Season 12, Episode 1, Locum. I, I can't go through this again. Again? Mackenzie's gone missing before? Our other daughter, Ella, was abducted 10 years ago. She's still out there. She's still out there. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and host of Crime Writers On and Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting Podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Are you 100% sure it's Rebecca Lavoie that you're co-podcasting with tonight? I don't know. You look very much like your sister. (laughs) And rounding out our panel is special guest, actor and producer Chase Williamson. Hello, Chase. Hello, Kevin and Rebecca. My God, it's a pleasure. (laughs) <laughs> the pleasure is all ours. You were the star of the movie John Dies at the End. I want to know, how come you didn't want to play John? I actually did. <laughs> want to? <laughs> but, yeah, but they made me play the, they made me be the lead. <laughs> they didn't think you could pull off a death scene? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He was like the goofy one, and I was like the really serious one, and I was like, obviously I'm going to play the goofy one, and then no. <laughs> they, they thought that I looked upset enough to play the sad guy. <laughs> now, are you a Law & Order weekend warrior, or do you go all the way back to primetime viewing? Um, Way, way back. I mean, I... I think I got into it probably mid-SVU, so probably like season six or something, mm-hmm. and, and, and went back and binged all of it. <laughs> it's my kind wow. of guy. SVU is my main jam, and it took up a lot of my life for a long time. And then I kind of like fell off it for a while, but I feel like SVU was like what got me into true crime, like got me started like watching Dateline and... All, all the true, true, true crime stuff. Oh, you do know that SVU is fake, right? <laughs> what? No, it's a, it's a documentary. No, oh as, no, don't as, tell them about wrestling. As an actor, what? like, do you have friends who've been on SVU? Yes, tons. Really? Yeah. <laughs> as, as corpses or uh... as like rape victims and stuff. Oh wow. Oh yeah. And you don't live in New York, so like you haven't been on SVU, right? No, I think I have. I gone out. I've I've gone out for like a Law and Order show. I feel like it was they had a Los Angeles one for a minute. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I went out for that once, but it was a no go. 
I think I, I think I was just auditioning to like get mugged for like a minute or something. You didn't like, look sad enough for that one. No, the casting director was like, "Take your sweatshirt off and like spin around." And I was like, "Wow!" I'm like, "All right, I've seen enough." I was like, "Wow!" I, I feel like I got it, but I didn't. Now, Chase, of all the franchises, which two cops your favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. A Benson and Stabler. Mm, classic. Classic. Without pick. question. Yeah. What's so great about them? I love Chris Maloney deeply um, in everything, <laughs> everything that he does. <laughs> Wet Hot American Summer is one of my favorite movies of all time, and you know Oz is a really great show, and I just love him, and I love Mariska Hargitay also, and I just think you know I have so much respect for her doing a show for 19 seasons or whatever. <laughs> And still, bring, still bringing it every time, and like her her performance is so amazing because just like the way she does her job with adults versus children, and it's in this episode, it's like a great example of it is so spot on. I feel like and just like subtly specific in terms of like how she's doing her job as a detective and questioning people. She just seems really good at her job. Yeah, after 19 years, you'd hope so, right? Yeah, I mean, she's really figured it out. <laughs> and who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Oh, God, I don't even know. I don't even know any of their names, really. No, <laughs> Blonde. Yeah, the blonde one. Love her. All right, now let's look at the first half of this episode, SVU, season 12, episode 1, Locum. Overprotective mommy can only enjoy her bath if she can still hear Mackenzie practicing the piano. But she gets locked in the bathroom and fears a kidnapper has taken her daughter. Why would she assume such a thing? A <laughs> good question. <laughs> Seems their daughter, Ella, had been kidnapped years earlier. So now we know why they've got this kid on serious lockdown. Mm. What about her school? I homeschool her. So she never leaves your sight? No, no, never. Maybe she needed a little space. Mackenzie is 10. She doesn't need space. She needs someone to watch her and protect her, which I've given up my life to do. What about her computer? Does she do her schoolwork on it? Yes, but we don't let her on it without someone monitoring her. Retrieving a deleted internet chat, they know Mackenzie left on her own to meet someone at Grand Central Station. They find the girl safe and sound, chatting with a creepy man. And so ends another six-minute episode of Law & Order Special <laughs> Victims Unit. Benson grills Eric Weber, a guy who claims to be an anti-pedophile crusader. He's very anxious to get home because he has to type 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, and 42 <laughs> in his computer every 108 minutes. Nice. Now, detectives oh. find out that the person I Emming McKenzie wasn't Eric, but her 10-year-old foster brother that she misses seeing. After getting a disappointed stare from Cragen, Mackenzie gives a half-hearted apology like the little bitch she is. <laughs> <laughs> the relieved parents take her home, but the girl leaves behind a crayon-written note saying her adopted family hurts her and asks Olivia to rescue her. So when the elite squad of detectives thinks that you might be going a little overboard protecting your special victim, yeah. you might want to lighten up. You know, mm -hmm. I wouldn't lighten up, though, if I were this lead squad of detectives, only because, and I'm just going to say it, 
This is the greatest episode of SVU <laughs> of all time. This is your favorite one. It's my all-time favorite episode. It is the greatest episode. And that over-the-top Joan Cusack bathtub scene oh my God. sets it up like unbelievably. And Who is out there? And then she's hanging out the window and throwing things out the window. I will say, Chase, when she jumped out of the tub, I thought I was going to see Nip. <laughs> I'm sorry, my <laughs> eye went right God. there. was an awful lot of under boob <laughs> for someone jumping out of the tub with a face cloth. I'm just saying. That's what we call a raw and brave performance. <laughs> <laughs> totally naked, sopping wet, screaming for your daughter from in, from the other side of a door. Throwing an ashtray out of the bathroom window. <laughs> it was. Nearly hit a guy with his earbuds. <laughs> listening to a podcast called yeah. Crime Writers On. That's right. That was definitely what he was listening to. I would, If I were in New York walk, walking down the street and someone threw an ashtray from a window, I don't think I would think, tw- I don't think I would stop and like take my earbuds out and see what they, I think I would, yeah, I would just assume that they were insane or there was some sort of domestic as- dispute going on. Yeah, you're like, hey, it's Thursday. Yeah. So. I'm like, <laughs> All right, but these parents are certainly, you know, really wound up tight. They already have Rebecca printouts of local sex offenders that they can offer into evidence. Don't you? Don't you just keep a folder, <laughs> like in your random drawer where you put your keys, you know, like when you come home from work? In that drawer, don't you also have a folder of every registered sex offender in your neighborhood? No. <laughs> my mom was not like that. Chase, your mom was not like that. Not to my knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like the point, the, the point in the show where I do a thing that I know you find annoying, but mm-hmm. it really is... Um, really like dominant for me in the first half of the show okay the apartment that this yeah. family lives in yeah there are like 20 different styles of decor in this apartment <laughs> right oh do tell so we we first see her in a bathroom which is straight up like Chip and Joanna shiplap and a rustic door then we go into the living room which has concrete floors and big modern windows and randomly an adobe fireplace which is very confusing huh. and then in this scene later when the cops come we're in Mackenzie's room which looks like a pretty pretty princess carpeted like room from like a colonial in Connecticut it's very disorienting for that's me that's so true Hey, that's <laughs> great. <laughs> okay, so a, a note to viewers. They're looking for a little girl in Grand Central Station with four <laughs> cops. Right? They're like, hmm. They, could, they come to the balcony. It's like, hmm, well, we better start searching now. Isn't it wonderful? She's not getting any less lost. Isn't it great, though, how like dispassionate and uncaring all those Grand Central Station <laughs> employees are about the search? Chase, my favorite part is Finn goes to tell somebody, you got to shut down all the trains. He's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that the, the reason why she was able to escape and make it to Grand Central Station so quickly is because her dad went behind jo- Joan Cusack's back and bought her some Heelys, which are those sh- those <laughs> shoes with little wheels on the heel. And she just goes skating down the street. We don't need a train. I have my Heelys. Yeah. He, and he's, I should have never bought her those Heelys. <laughs> <laughs> and he's right. No, no good can come from that.
you know? If you don't want her to be skating around, like, have any freedom, why would you buy her <laughs> shoes that yeah. are designed to sort of, like, let her get away from whatever she wants to in a quick amount of time? You sure thing gonna get him, get her kidnapped again with them Heelys. <laughs> yeah, was You're talking. asking for trouble. You're asking for trouble. Yes, absolutely. She planned it, too. She asked for the Heelys because she knew that that was the only way she'd be able to get away in time. She's smart. She may have, like, intense behavioral issues, and I happen to be on the side of, like, Joan Cusack with, like, that little girl. Like, when they find her in Grand Central Station, the cops are like, so, like, uh, what can you tell us about why all of this is happening? And the little girl's like, bite me. Bite me. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Jesus. And then Joan Cusack is like, Mackenzie. But, like, if my kids talk to a cop like that, I would be like, oh, hell no. Like, Joan Cusack seemed very understanding of her, like, behavioral issues as a foster kid. I think I'd be like, are you sure you want her back? Yeah, I was like, ugh. Okay, a special announcement. It's our very special guest star, Joan Cusack. Yes. She's playing Pamela Burton, and uh, she received an Oscar nomination for Working Girl. God, why won't anyone believe me? She's not dead. The man with the camera took her, and the police won't tell me who he is because they think I'm going to... And she has been in 10 movies with her brother, John Cusack. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what do we think of her performance in this episode? Chase, let's start with you. I think it's genius. I think it's brilliant. I love Joan Cusack. I think her performance in um, Adam's Family Values is one of the greatest <laughs> of all time. Um, and I think this, better than Working Girl. Yes. Oh, way better. Um, repeat viewing material, definitely. But I feel like <laughs> her performance here is just like very unhinged, and she really goes for it, and she really brings it. And I think that the guy who plays her husband is just like also brilliant because he he like is so grounding and she's so like unhinged and over the top and like his presence is so grounded and like real seeming that it sells that it just like makes you not immediately assume that the parents are crazy just one of them is crazy yeah well (laughs) just just the fact that the dad seems so reasonable and he's like on the wife's side makes it seem like oh maybe she is just like a traumatized woman and she's just like turned up to a ten because <laughs> twelve. Yeah, maybe maybe she maybe she has a point, but you know I I think Joan really brought it and um, she won an Emmy for this, right? I'm just assuming. <laughs> Peabody Award. Okay. I like the moment in the episode where Joan was like a little bit racist, just like assuming that the uh, brown-skinned guy and the little girl oh. wearing the hijab, like it must have been, it was like the not without my daughter viewer, like decided that like that had to be Mackenzie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Still like, Joan, you know your daughter's not Muslim, right? <laughs> <laughs> Tell by the way she walks. Exactly. That must be that must be her. Exactly. I would love to have been a fly on the wall with like her preparing for the role. Like <laughs> like did she did, like did she practice like how she was gonna do it before she got to set? Or like did she go to set and like have like a really subtle nuanced performance and the director was like, Okay, do that again, but like really turn it up to like a twelve. Yeah. Did, did she workshop it? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, I'm not sure because like I feel like she kind of is in control of the tone of the episode. And I feel yeah. like, you know, what she's bringing is like her sort of interpretation of the tone of SVU. And that's kind of what I love about it is that she like she knows what show she's on. 
And she's just <laughs> she's just really going for it, you know. <laughs> now we have a hey, it's that guy. Hey, it's that guy. Can you name the actor who plays Eric Weber? I'm picturing Jeremy Sisto when I picture him, but I know that's not who it was. <laughs> no. <laughs> Rebecca, do you know? That's the dude who's Desmond from Lost, right? Yeah, what's his name? Henry something something. Oh. Henry Ian <laughs> Kusick. Yeah, Kusick. My right. sister, my sister was raped, and it destroyed her. And when I was 16, she killed herself. So what you are accusing me of I would never. Yeah, Cusick. I remember seeing that in the credits and being like, oh, that's almost Cusack, but it's not. <laughs> that's right, it's almost. Well, of course, yeah, we know him as Desmond from Lost, the guy down in the hatch, hitting all the numbers on that computer. Yep. Uh, he was also in the, he's also in the 100. And here's a fun fact. He was born in Peru mm-hmm. to Peruvian and Scottish parents. Mm-hmm. That's a good that's mix. A, is interesting that fun? combination. Is that yeah. fun? I don't know if that's fun. It's just, like, it sounds like a it's fact. It's a fact. All right. <laughs> Scottish and Peruvian? Yeah. Huh. Be a weird, <laughs> weird combo of accents. I would love to hear that. <laughs> so, uh, Rebecca, we do see this character, Eric Weber, again in yes. actually the next episode. Yes, and there's some really fun foreshadowing of the Eric Weber that we will come to know. Uh, I mean, if you're like me and Chase, and you, because you live with me and I watch SVU all the time, (laughs) all day on Sunday, you know that there is another episode in which he appears where it turns out he's not the good guy he appears to be, even though in this episode he really doesn't appear to be a good guy at all. It's a lot of good foreshadowing. He asks (laughs) out Benson. Immediately. That's pretty ballsy. She's like, all right, I guess you're cleared, even though I was sure you were a pedophile. And he's like, cool, do you want to maybe, I don't know, grab dinner on Friday? (laughs) And then he like... Really pushes it. Yeah. I hope you don't find out I'm a pedophile for other kids <laughs> when I show you yeah. my giant computer system. That's right. Chase, you've seen the follow-up <laughs> episode, right, where we see him again? Oh, yeah. I knew he was coming yeah, back. Yeah, they, they go to uh, his apartment, and he's got, like, this giant NASA mission control computer right, system. Right, Which I keep thinking back when he was on mm-hmm. loss, he had a Tandy. Right. You know, and pressing those buttons, it's yeah. like... No, man, this is, this is how you really do it. Yeah. yeah, but there is this wonderful scene where he unravels with Benson and tries to explain that he's not a pedophile, and he's like, my sister was raped, at which point I yelled out, by you! <laughs> because that is what we find out in the next episode. The rape he committed. Oh my God, I forgot about he's that. He's using as his like defense against being a perv. It's hey, incredible. But that's not something you, t- you say on the first date. No. That's more like a third date it is. disclosure. It is. Yeah. yeah. Rebecca, you think Mackenzie is a, a badass, huh? I fucking love this kid. I love everything about her. Yeah. I love her sassy little pug nose. I love how she like It's not a pug nose anymore, I but know. we'll get to that. I, I love how she like when she wants to like like make a point, she like gets all screwed up in the face. I love her line delivery. I love her shiny hair. Come on, he's really nice. How many times have I told you not to talk to strange men? You know what they can do to you, sweetie. Did it do any sex thing? Did he touch you? No. Are you sure? Stop. What? I love everything about this child actress. I really do. Because shiny hair again. We're, we're, it's <laughs> listen. These things are important to me. Okay. There are a lot of terrible child actors on this show. Mm-hmm. This is not one of them. I think this was a solid child actor performance. That's Bailey Madison, man. That's a seasoned child actress. She's in a ton of stuff. Bailey yeah, Madison. She's in. Uh, she's in that movie. 
She makes a hair you, color. You remember that movie with Toby <laughs> Maguire and Jake Gyllenhaal where they play brothers? I believe it's Bridge called Brothers. Terabitha? No, it's called Brothers. Oh, oh she's right. She's in that. She's also in Bridge to Terabithia. She's also in this movie that Guillermo del Toro produced called Afraid, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, which was huh. a, a remake of this TV movie from the 70s or something. I remember the, I remember the TV movie, yeah. I don't remember the Guillermo del Toro version. I feel like, I feel like Mackenzie um, just like has an attitude problem for sure. Mm. And, yeah. I, <laughs> and I feel like she could have just gone about this whole thing in a much different way. <laughs> and I, fe- I feel like she seems like very mature and adult, but also so petulant that the two like don't really jive with each other. She's a product of the system, though, Chase. Come you're on, right, she's you're a product right. of the system. And I'm a very yeah. judgmental person, especially when it comes to children. <laughs> That's why I love like Master Chef Junior because I love to watch children <laughs> be judged for skills that they shouldn't have <laughs> and crushed at age yeah. nine. Like this result is frozen. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. All right, now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Can't wait. After getting Mackenzie's note, Liv and a social worker pay a visit to the Burton's home. Mackenzie says the hole in her arm is from a microchip. And sure enough, they put a fucking microchip in her. <laughs> Literally. The girl says her adopted parents are trying to turn her into their missing abducted daughter, Ella. They make me wear her clothes. They cut my hair like her. This is Ella? The real me. They dye your hair? You made me have an operation. They gave you a nose job? Stabler looks into Ella's disappearance and learns the state police suspected the Burtons killed her on a camping trip. Pamela Burton insists a photographer and a redheaded girl lured Ella away. They track down the photographer, who just happens to have a picture he took that day of a redheaded girl. They run the photo through some bullshit facial recognition machine. (laughs) And in 30 seconds, they know the girl had done child porn, grew up, and was right now jerking off some guy at the Happy Funtime Massage Parlor. (laughs) The redhead admits she lured Ella away for her father, who wanted her for his wife, then seemingly beat Ella to death. Stabler and Benson go to the guy's farm to arrest him. They're shocked to find Ella living in squalor, but otherwise okay. Benson reunites Ella with her tearful parents. Then the detective sees Mackenzie, who gives her a look as if to say, you dumb bitch, this is literally the worst thing you could have done to me. (laughs) So I don't know if this episode has so many twists as it seems to just sort of lunge from one inquiry to a completely new one. Is this twisty, Chase, or is it just sort of ADD? I thought it was twisty, it was turny, it was absolutely riveting storytelling. It was everything I want, you know? It was like like Joan Cusack redemption... The, it was just like a lot of elements that I want in all of SVU episodes, like all rolled into one. And it like it just like 
I was genuinely interested to know what was going to happen, and I wouldn't have been able to predict that that's where it was going to go. And for that, I give it five stars. Yeah, that is why this, and it's not just my favorite SVU episode. It's also, I think this one is like peak SVU, because it does everything. It does everything. If you think about that interrogation scene Mm -hmm. with the parents. Pamela is not a child killer. You have to understand how much she changed when she lost Ella. How much we both changed. It was a super intense, like, high-level interrogation scene. Joan was totally unhinged. Oh. She's like, I cry every single day. Killing it. Meanwhile, they're accusing her of murder. It's just, they crush it. Every single episode, every single like, element of this just gets crushed. There's the whole microchip thing, which is a callback to a previous RFID microchip episode, which we have discussed on this podcast. And when Ella mentions it, I just want to say Olivia Benson, like, you should know that's a thing, because Danny Tanner also did that to his wife. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. I love everything about it. It's not a mess. It is perfect. Do you think the parents even realize that they're turning Mackenzie into Ella? Well, that's that's another thing I liked about the episode that, like, makes it... Like, there are certain things about it that ground it and make it not as crazy as it could be. Like Dyeing her hair? Making her wear Ella's clothes? They happen to fit. You think it's abusive to have her wear perfectly good hand-me-down? I, think, I, I believed their reasoning. Like, whenever the... No, you didn't. I kind of... I, no, I, you didn't. I believed that they believed their reasoning, I guess I should yeah, say. Yeah, that's no. the question. I, like, I, I call bullshit on that, <laughs> and here's why. You live in California. You work in Hollywood. You and I both know, Chase, that deviated septum is a bullshit excuse yes. for someone to get a nose job. <laughs> That's true. The nose job That is not a the thing. The nose job thing was where I was like, "Oh no, they're just they're lying to themselves." But <laughs> but they had they had clearly convinced themselves that they were doing the right thing. And when they talk about the microchip, she's like, "What are you guys talking about? She asked us to do this." And 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 Mackenzie does not deny that, and, and and both parents are like, no, she literally was like, can we do this? I would like to have a microchip in me. Yeah, and there, there, but there's one other thing. I mean, let's be real. As long as we're being mean to kids, yeah. Um, we do see that before picture of Mackenzie, mm-hmm. and I think we can all agree that those horrible things they did to her were a little bit of an improvement. <laughs> they were for the best. It was all for the best. They took her like strawberry blonde, like Rachel Dolezal wig away. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, like, put a headband on her and, you know, gave her some nice clothes. This is apparently the kind of photographer who makes prints of all of his random shots and keep them in chronologically arranged albums. That's right. I remember that day, he says. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, have it, I have it right here in this Target photo studio that I'm currently shooting in. That was during my nature period. I was going to be the next Ansel Adams. It was in May. No, no, I got it. I got it. I know the exact day. Yeah, yeah. I Rain remember that because he remembers every day uh, that he that he took photos. Well, he had already been he'd been questioned about this ten years ago, so it's fresh in his mind. Right, and he never he he was like, oh, they didn't ask me about that, so I never showed them. <laughs> I've just been waiting for to show this to somebody. So I've had it here with a little one of those like post-it like stickies on it, just in case you guys ever came back to ask me this exact question. <laughs> I love when um, when Ice T and and what's his name, the other guy, Munch. Munch. I like when they show up 
to the photo studio and they're like very rude to the photographer. He's like in the middle of a session. He's like, come on, cutie pie. Let me see that million dollar smile. Let me see it once. Take 10 folks while Mickey finds a backdrop that's not so cheesy. Hey, why don't you guys get out of here so we can find a better backdrop? And then, the <laughs> and then the photographer's like, oh, God, what do you guys want? Am I in trouble? And they're like, no, we actually just need your help. <laughs> so, like, why would they show up and be so aggressive and mean when they just need his cooperation? They oh. need him to help. I'm so motivated to help you now. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to point out that they found that redheaded girl faster than they found Mackenzie in Grand Central Station. And I will say, that girl looked nothing like the picture of her <laughs> the photographer gave them. Well, well, Chase, she had some rough times. Oh, she did. Well, so the facial recognition system, that's not a real thing. Well, I mean, Facebook does it, but it doesn't. apparently Facebook doesn't go through all the child porn. I don't know. I have to talk to Mr. Zuckerberg. Yeah, but I just, I just, I just assume that... That SVU has a team of like real law enforcement consultants that make sure everything they do is completely accurate. So anytime they have some <laughs> oh. sort of piece of technology that seems like very far fetched, I just assume it's it's real. So they go to the technical advisor and they say, "Hey, we have to somehow get to this girl in about forty five seconds. Right. So we're going to run it through the computer and like." Uh, all right, whatever, you're paying me either way. They also go to a technical advisor and say, we have the crayon note <laughs> that everyone has touched, but for demonstration purposes in the squad room, we need to flick it up and put it on a giant-ass PowerPoint They scanned screen. it, yes. <laughs> they scanned it on a table, because you all see the table. Yeah, yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So when they do like run it through a computer, do, yeah. you, do you do you recognize that it goes? It's like what computer does that? It's very high tech. Yeah, very yeah. high tech. And it, again, it goes through a billion faces in about thirty seconds. And I don't know what computer from two thousand six could have done that. Right. Two thousand, whatever. Yep. No, you're right. It's total bullshit. I call bullshit. It's still peak SVU. I defend it. I can defend it. I can defend anything about this episode. It's perfect. Now Stabler and Benson go out to this farm to get the the guy who st who kidnapped Ella mm -hmm. and they run across Ella but from the looks of her when they she attempts to hide behind a very small tree <laughs> <laughs> you see her it's a, it's apparent that she hasn't been playing hide and seek in, in captivity <laughs> right right she's lost all sense all perspective <laughs> the, if I had my face, they the can't world see me. Size. <laughs> she thinks it's like a, a Jurassic Park, where she's just very still. They won't be able to. The see Velociraptors her. will go by. <laughs> now, here's some food for thought, though. Both Ella and Mackenzie, mm -hmm. you could say, are both growing up in captivity of an adult's making. I think it's uh, pretty different. Uh uh, no, right. I'm not saying it's exactly the same thing, but I am saying symbolically. Mm. Chase, do you agree that they both have a kind of captivity, that there's another life that they want to lead and they don't have the agency to do so? Yeah, I mean, I think Ella and Mackenzie have a lot more in common than Mackenzie would be willing to admit. And I think... <laughs> you mean more so than the hand-me-downs? Yeah, and I think maybe Mackenzie should have just given Ella a chance when she got back instead of immediately assuming it was going to make her situation worse. Yes. <laughs> like, I know you play the piano better. I know you're going to take yeah. away this doll that actually looks like you. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to take all of her hand-me-downs back. <laughs> and we know that you know that it's a D and not a D flat. <laughs> <laughs> but she kept saying, you have to hit the A. Yeah. Hit yeah. the A. Oh, yeah, she was playing for Elise, and Joan Cusack was like, you sound like a rock star, Mackenzie. <laughs> like, what kind of rock star plays for Elise? 
the knowing nod meant it meant two things it meant like the writers were like oh we forgot about Mackenzie and then they were like yes exactly that's what that's how we're gonna end it like that'll be really powerful if we just like end on her and Benson's like oh shit I forgot about you he's like don't give her any lines it's better if she just nods yeah it means more and it's faster oh we forgot we totally forgot about that little girl use it <laughs> to me it meant like, also, uh, like like they, they returned I, at, they returned to Ella and Mackenzie was like uh, Olivia Benson nods at her and he's like she's like your life is shit now and Ella's like yeah my yeah, life is Mackenzie's like yeah my life is shit now and that's like that knowing nod right thanks for nothing you C-U-N-T <laughs> especially in the first time that Benson really like confronts them and is just like what you're doing is crazy and they're like get out of our apartment um, I thought that Benson, I, I, I would have been concerned that Mackenzie was going to become violent toward her adoptive parents if she was continuing to like live such a miserable life. I felt like like Benson was thinking like, well, uh, if you're not going to listen to me, uh, you're going to suffer the consequences and you may end up getting murdered by this little girl that you are like forcing to dress up like a doll. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. Can't wait. It's time for Ripped. No. Yes, Ripped from the Headlines. <laughs> you think you know who did you it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. The inspiration for this episode is the abduction of J.C. Dugard. In 1991, the 11-year-old was snatched. The kidnappers were Philip Garrido and his wife Nancy. The Garridos kept the little girl in a soundproof shed in their backyard. J.C. Dugard wouldn't go home for 18 years. Garrido was a self-styled religious figure. He was also a convicted sex offender. During her captivity, J.C. gave birth to two daughters, fathered by Garrido. He insisted the children be told Nancy was their mother and J.C. was their older sister. The three prisoners lived in sheds and tents surrounded by tall trees and a six-foot fence. In 2009, Garrido went to the San Francisco FBI and told them his method for using religion and psychic ability to control sexual offences. He was later seen with the two children, who by then were teenagers. Summoned by authorities, Garrido reported to his parole office with his wife and a woman named Alyssa. When questioned further, Alyssa admitted she was J.C. Dugard. J.C. and her daughters were reunited with their family. Philip Garrido was convicted to 431 years in prison. I 
got a real question for you. Yeah. Cy Freighter, our wonderful uh, British voiceover guy, mm-hmm. the way that it works is like you just like send him what you read and he reads it for you. Yeah. Who the fuck does he think we are? Like sending him <laughs> stories that he has to read. Every time I hear something, it's like, this poor guy. Cy's so a good sport. J.C. Dugard. Also, that is, and this episode Philip was Garrido. nothing like that story. I mean, they just like yeah, that, that story seems happens. like a the very, very end. They just shoehorned it in at the end. Sure, that's not, what the, that's not what the episode's about. It's about Mackenzie and her wheelies <laughs> and and her replacing the the daughter. We don't get to know Ella. We don't know. No, that's true. But I will say you have to think that the, the 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 structure of the show is that this girl has been kidnapped and is away all these years mm. and then comes back. And in in the the end, as you saw, when they go to the backyard of the farm, mm. um, there's all these uh, sheds, and it's obvious that someone's been living out in the back and hiding behind very thin trees. Yes, mm-hmm. and her teeth are way too good to be a captivity for <laughs> And that she's well, she's she's dressed like a like a colonial woman. Yes. <laughs> and then when they bring her back to she's reunited at with Joan Cusack and her dad at their like apartment in Manhattan instead of the police station. And she's she's yeah. still wearing like her colonial garb <laughs> <laughs> when when they see her for the first time. <laughs> okay, now in real life it wasn't his daughter, but Garrido used his wife mm. to scout for JC and help win her compliance while in captivity. Do you guys buy Nancy Garrido's claim that she did it just to appease her husband? Yes. He had really? power 100%. over her. Yeah? Hundred percent. Chase does it sounds like. Listen, we wrote a book about this. What are you talking about? All right. Well, all right. Well, okay. I defer to you. We, we, yeah, we wrote a book in which in a, a, a young girl who was in a horribly abusive relationship lured another young girl to their apartment who was then murdered by the abusive boyfriend. And I think in that book, Kevin, if I remember correctly, we kind of conclude that she was a victim of abuse herself, even though she was complicit in the crime. Yes or no, Kevin? Well, I thought the book I wrote was full of bullshit. Um, (laughs) So, like, when she was discovered, J.C. at first stuck to the story that she was Alyssa, Mm. right? She didn't tell police right away that, yeah, that's who she was. This is very much like the the Elizabeth Elizabeth Smart. Smart. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I think a lot of people say, oh, yeah, yeah, I would immediately tell the cop who I really was. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Those people can take a leap. (laughs) (laughs) But I think we've demonstrated now that that's really not the way that people who have been in this long-time captivity, whether you want to call it Stockholm Syndrome, Chase, or or, or not fear. (laughs) Right. No, today's not the day. I'm going home. This could be. I'm just going to get beat for this, you know. If I if I don't play along, you, you know, Chase. What do you think about that? Are you surprised that she didn't immediately jump up and say, "I'm Casey Dugard"? No, I buy that. I mean, I can't imagine what kind of psychological shit she was going. I mean, yeah, I can't. I can't judge any sort of decision that anyone would make in in that situation. And I think you know, as we as we know, like. People do weird shit all the time when they're traumatized, like, or, you know, going through something. So, yeah. Yeah, she was also a mother of two kids who were in captivity, too. Right. She wanted to make right, sure. But Ella was not. Ella was not. They did not have that inconvenience of presenting Joan Cusack with grandchildren, <laughs> which would have been, by the way, <laughs> amazing. It would have been amazing. That would have been even worse for Mackenzie. <laughs> Mackenzie would not have liked that. So after she done disappeared, uh, <laughs> there were missed opportunities to find JC. Mm. Apparently, parole officers had visited the Garrido's house, but they never checked the backyard. Right. And so the state of California agreed to pay JC's family twenty million dollars instead of going at, to avoid a lawsuit. Hmm. Um, That's true. 
<laughs> yeah, it reminds me of that uh, SVU episode. It's like, sorry you were victimized with child porn, but here's $4 million exactly. for everybody you sue. Right. Exactly. I don't think that takes the sting out of it, Chase, but certainly when you look back over years and years, 18 years, there were so many opportunities that they really had to bring this girl home. Yeah, and she wasn't just confined to the shed, right? Like, they had her come and do, like, work for them on the computer and stuff. Yeah, she worked. He, he Yeah, he owned a print shop. And she came yeah, in she and was like their secretary. Gra- yeah, she worked as a graphic artist. Like, so she was really living that, that yeah. life. She also did these blue landscapes with a crayon. She just kept going back and forth. <laughs> oh, God. No, I can't actually back that up. Yeah, you can't. But you can't. Now, I don't think. That's true. That's true. Now, I don't think I would have kidnapped Rebecca to make her my wife, but I definitely could see her making me live in a shed in the backyard. Well, that's only because you didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Chase Williamson. Chase, where can our listeners follow you online? Thank you for having me. You can follow me my handle is chillamson c-h-i-l-l-a-m-s-o-n on twitter and instagram and whatnot and rebecca lavoy what's your twitter handle it is at reb lavoy and you can also listen to our other podcast crime writers on and follow us there at crime writers on and you can track me on twitter at kevin p flynn you can also tweet to us at law and order pod or follow us on instagram at these are their stories podcast our newsreader was cy freighter our theme music was composed and performed by uncanny valleys content assistance from travis roy lily flynn slings the swag to get ad free episodes of these are their stories a week early sign up for stitcher premium get your first month free at stitcherpremium.com slash crime all clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com, sign up for our newsletter, and a chance to be our next Law & Order marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi... You almost got through the whole thing. I was so impressed. (laughs) It's based St. Louis, Mississippi studio, and it is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners Partners in Crime Media. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.